0: Good afternoon, universe, and welcome to another episode of Cross Defense, your weekly dose of worldview demolition, where we break down the stronghold bad opinions of the enemy and set up shop with the mighty fortress of our Lord's Word. I'm your host, Pastor Jonathan Fisk, and I believe in Christian dogma. I believe that when God speaks, He does so with the power of His Spirit empowering us, regenerating us, waking us up to be able to speak that word back to Him, so that as St. Paul says... Well, we we hunger for the truth. We watch our life and the teaching of doctrine among us closely because there is a time coming. It's already here when people will turn away from sound doctrine looking for teachers who will scratch their itching ears. That's not how it's to be for us, not as we trust in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're to hold firmly to that message of his cross on our behalf and so also encourage others. To help me do this this morning, we have in studio Pastor John this morning. I'm so used to doing morning shows. We have in studio. Pastor John Sias, he is the secretary of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and via phone we have Pastor Adam Philippeck from up there in North Dakota, and my notes here have failed me as to the names of his two congregations. We'll get that fixed by the end of the show. In either case, we're going to be looking at Dr. Francis Pieper's Christian Dogmatics Volume 1, picking up at page 48 and point 2 of the section on the Theology as aptitude You might remember this is about the habit of understanding, which initially does apply to all Christians, but then there's this kind of like this little wiggle where it's, no, no, no. If you're going to be a pastor, this has to be even more truly said of you. We'll try to dig into that again. But before we do, let's say hello to our two guests, Pastor John Sias and Pastor Adam Philip Beck. Good afternoon.
1: Good afternoon great to be here good afternoon
0: and adam i apologize because i don't have it on my sheet of notes here but i should have it on my on-air names list that pastor adam Filipek. oh where is it there we go he Is pastor of holy cross lutheran church and emmanuel lutheran church in Lidderwood, north dakota uh up there in the great north how are you doing this this fall is, is the weather turned for you yet
2: it's 80 degrees here, and the <laughs> leaves are just starting to show some signs of yellow. It's a beautiful day.
0: Oh, good! I, I man, late summer is just so beautiful up there. So, and and uh, Pastor Sias, any any great fall news for you here in the IC? What does that mean for you? Um, more meetings, <laughs> always the same. <laughs> more, right? more meetings. That's why you went to seminary, right? Just, just well, to go like, to meetings. They didn't tell me that part. I don't. <laughs> so what do you guys think about this? I mean, I just kind of want to jump into it. What do you think about this section? We really were wrestling last time uh, over try what is it what does this idea of aptitude mean? I mean it's it's not a a chrism that falls from heaven in ordination, right? It's not some sort of special spiritual gift and yet there is the it's only something the spirit can give. Uh, what are your initial thoughts just even looking at the context of, of the first points he was making in the the pages leading up to today?
1: Pieper has kind of a habit of talking about theology as a a habitus, uh, as a a habit, a a skill that's honed, like a practice of medicine or uh, law. And uh, we get right into the core of that here in number two, where he says, you know, what does this consist of? Well, it's it's the ability to confine oneself to God's Word, to to be the theologos, the one who speaks of God, for God, and and
2: nothing but God. Um, Adam? This is... Very interesting because point one is focused specifically on the faith in Christ that was given supernaturally via the Holy Spirit through the means of grace by which a person is brought in and sustained in that same living, active faith. So it does mean more than simply an ability to simply comprehend theological concepts uh, about who God is, what he has done, and what he has revealed to us in Christ. This goes first to the relationship that God has given us as his own child in the waters of baptism. And then from there, as was just stated, it is very much narrowed in definition, too, to include, and almost sort of like with a, a laser, people focuses on the inclusion to stick to God's word specifically, as His called and ordained servant.
0: Now, what I'm still trying to—and again, I'm wrestling with this. It's not that I don't believe it's true. I'm trying to find the language to put it in, in on two levels. One, habitus and habit are not the way that we normally talk as Americans these days. But the, on the other one, so I, I don't hear in what you guys said anything other than what really is expected of, of a Christian. And yet, Pieper is talking about something that is at a—well, more applying to the office of the ministry, right? So so where, how do we draw that line? Or— are the expectations of the man in the office of the ministry nothing more than the expectations of a Christian publicly uh, enforced?
1: I think each particular office or vocation has its own uh, way in which this is apprehended. Uh, you know, certainly for the one who speaks publicly on behalf of the church, there's a special obligation to... Uh, to speak nothing but the truth of god's word uh one speaks from an office with an authority uh, that people uh, understand uh you know when you're uh when your uh, oncologist tells you, you you know you've got cancer that naturally has more weight than when some guy on the street looks at you and says well i think there's something off here um and uh, same with a professional theologian um So that, uh, uh, you know, there is an office of the ministry that's conferred, a responsibility, a duty to particular people in a particular place to speak prophetically and from God's Word to them.
0: So, is people talking about something that the man should have before he enters the office, or is he talking about what the man who has been put into the office ought to pursue, or, or both?
1: I think it's both and. Yeah. Uh, That that one who is unprepared to take this on, uh, one who is not looking at the Holy Scriptures as the whole source of the Christian doctrine, the guide, uh, the rule, the norm for faith and life, is certainly unprepared to take up that office or even really study for it.
0: So, in short, whereas the Christian is to concern himself with speaking truth according to the Word, the pastor, again, there's a higher accountability because it is His sending is of a higher authority, and so he must devote himself to this over and above. And this is a work the Spirit's going to make him want to do, but also one that his conscience needs to basically be active pursuing and doing. You want to jump in, Adam?
2: Well, Peter makes this point very specifically in the first part of his um, excursus on this, on pages 46 and 47, right. when he's speaking specifically of 1 Timothy chapter 3, he's talking about a public office that even if a person has an aptitude, they can't place themselves into that office with an, some sort of aptitude that is faith in Christ, but rather the Spirit of God has placed them in that office, sharing the same faith, if you will, of, of one of the, the laity or uh, part of the priesthood of all believers here on this one, but he is taking for granted in some respects very cursory glossing over with only one sentence there that we're specifically talking about first Timothy chapter three. Hmm. Someone desiring to be an episcopus, an overseer, a bishop, a pastor, if you will. And so this is the d- turn of the discussion into that. And he set that up very nicely by, by talking about the Spirit of God who has placed you into that office. And so everything ends up being divine monergism. What? What kind of word is that? <laughs> well it's just simply a great expression of saying god alone does the work what, what He's I, responsible for it all
0: what i don't want to let us what I don't want to let us do my my fear if, if you haven't picked up on this yet is that the layperson listening to this well there's two ways they can go then get offended well are you saying only pastors can do theology and, or they go the other way well pastors do theology so I don't have to right and, and i don't think either of those things is what people really is wanting us to take away from this correct
1: yeah, I, I was definitely. I, let him who speaks, speak as the oracles of God. That uh, This speaks to everyone. Uh, I, I think, and we'll see as we, we look at this, people resist uh, drawing a line around certain articles of the faith as if they're the exclusive province of professional theologians. Hmm. Uh, we're all given to speak God's truth. The word is near you, in, in your ear and on your tongue and so on. Uh, Romans 10, uh, you know, It's there for all of us, uh, but for those given the opportunity to study professionally uh, theology, uh, given the Office of Teaching publicly on behalf of the Church as uh, ministers of Christ, uh, yeah, it's definitely a special obligation.
2: And just a reminder to our listeners, though this does stretch back to a month ago when I was on your show, this point was specifically set up in pages 42 and 43 by the ending conclusion of point number four, which basically stated that any time you're receiving Christ in his word and in his sacraments, you're doing theology. You're a theologian. It's the reception of Christ. And so it categorizes everyone who receives that as a Christian under the blanket realm of theology. Every Christian is a theologian, but not every Christian has the same distinctive vocation or calling by God.
0: Right, right, that your job is not to be the knower of the truth. And, and again, it, it that brings with it, <laughs> uh, I mean, for some, it might bring with it a, d- a strong dose of pride, and that's that shows how little they know the truth. For others, it should bring with it a, a strong dose of fear, and that I better be taking this thing as seriously as I can. And this is kind of where then I think point two, and I'm going to read a little bit of the text here for us, <laughs> is is really uh, pressing the conscience a little bit. Like, if, if you're going to go out and, and speak Publicly the oracles of God, you better go out and speak publicly the oracles of God, right? Otherwise you put yourself in some pretty ugly company. He says, The theological aptitude includes the ability of the theologian to confine himself in his teaching entirely to God's word. He must be able to suppress his own thoughts about God and divine manners. This isn't like the ones he gets from the Word of God. It's his own speculations and ideas. Right. And and put aside the thoughts of other men, deriving the doctrine exclusively from the Word of God, from the Holy Scripture. The theologian who refuses to do this, in the words of St. Paul, <laughs> uh, I'm going to read the Greek first before his translation. Tetu photai meden epistaminos a e bloated ignoramus. <laughs> I mean, Talk about some fighting words there. Uh, but now, this isn't to say that the pastor can't cheer for the Cardinals or the Cubs and, and do so in a way in which his people kind of hear him and either rejoice or mourn his decision-making, right? But he, he is, when he is officially in the teaching position, to limit himself, or at the very least, to caveat, look, now what I'm saying here, that was my opinion, but
1: the Word of God says this. Yeah, His, his presentation is to be untempered by the you know what we so often hear. Well, this is what this means to me. Right, uh, he is to preach. You know what it means, and uh, if I can back up a little yeah, bit, he you was know, talking about vocations. One of the the, the interesting things, uh, key features of our uh, church body, Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, and the Reformation in general, is that the sheep judge the shepherds. You know, our conventions have equal lay and pastoral representation. Uh, when there are you know church courts, so to say, lay people sit on those. Uh, the, our position is that the scriptures are clear and the confessions are clear, so that the hearers can judge when the truth of God's word is being taught. I gotta jump on that though, because I've served in a
0: couple of parishes now, and while I certainly have been and felt judged by my sheep, it's almost <laughs> never been over the word of God, and almost always been over these other things that I'm, I'm not supposed to, or that I'm supposed to not put, uh, not be confined. To. No, I, I'm saying that backwards. But you get the point, right? So, isn't it interesting? <sighs> What a what a time we live in, where, where the things that we're to confine ourselves to as theologians and the things that we fight over as church are rarely
1: the yeah. things people's pointing us to. Yeah, and and there, you know, uh, 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 Paul's admonition against the uh, the wars of words and the silly battles about genealogies and so on yeah, and so yeah. forth. I mean, these things are immediate to us. We, we understand. We get that uh, when we're distracted from the chief thing, which is God's word and the teaching of the pure gospel. Uh, by all this other stuff, so Pastor Philipac.
2: This is First Corinthians. You know, the heart of man is black. Paul comes along and says, "I desire to know nothing among you yeah. except Jesus Christ and Him crucified." But only after he's basically said, "I'm appalled by what you're doing." Some of you are saying. I follow Crispus, I follow Gaius, I follow Apollos, I follow Paul. Were you baptized into Paul? And he goes through this whole thing saying, you're setting over the little the little petty things like, which pastor is over you and who taught you? But don't you understand that we're all under one authority, which is Christ? And to go to John's point, this is exactly why the laity and the pastor speak to each other and why the laity has in accordance with something that's false doctrine, the authority to say to the pastor, no, that's wrong. Because the pastor is the called and ordained servant of Christ who is placed in that office, the very mouthpiece to speak the excellencies of Christ who has called us out of darkness into the marvelous light of salvation. He, though, is in subjugation. He's a servant to Christ. And when that servant is going alive from Christ and his word, then those sheep say to the pastor, "Wait a minute, that's not the voice of Jesus, my good shepherd. But both of them are see- under the same subjugation. The authority of Christ and His word. So
0: the, the, the fightingness of these words, though, you know we, we've gone in the direction of the, the sheep having the duty, of hearing the shepherd's voice, right, and then when they when they hear a hireling rising up and saying, you know, this shouldn't be so, but I think Pieper has in mind here some very specific things that he's actually throwing throwing a stone at, actually, in terms of what's being taught in his day and age, and I don't know if this is really worth worth going into too much, but you know he's hitting at sort of an official position within scholastic American Christianity that the pastor's job is not to confine himself to the scriptures. The pastor's job is to do whatever the people kind of want him to do. Are we still living in that though? I mean, this was hundreds of years ago. Is it, is it still out there?
1: It's the perpetual battle of the church. You know, in Luther's day, sola scriptura, I mean, becomes a chief principle for a reason, which mm-hmm. is that the, the Pope, uh, you know, the, in the shrine of his heart, uh, uh, you know, decided things uh, apart from the word of God, above the word of God, uh, in uh, people's days, reacting to oh, this this laundry list of, of of bad sources of theology, Christian consciousness, faith consciousness, mm-hmm. the regenerate ego. Um, you know, the idea that uh, somehow in the shrines of the theologian's heart. Uh, pure scientific theology can be devised and then maybe or maybe not later reconciled with scripture.
0: Today, don't we hear this more like, well, I think God is
1: like this. or Or the God I believe in would never say that. Right. All the academic trappings have been lost. Right. But it's the same thing. We we begin uh, our theology with how we feel in our hearts about what kind of God we want, and then we project that onto what the true God has actually said. Which doesn't make a whole lot of sense.
2: Philippic? Which is why grinds, uh, or grounds us specifically in the object, objective truth of the Word made flesh, Jesus Christ our Lord, that both the pastor, in this case specifically the pastor, we've kind of gone down the road uh, a little bit differently than, than uh, Pieper's looking mm-hmm. at it here with um, with the people and the authority over a pastor and how that works, but quite frankly peeper is specifically saying in this article here that if a pastor deviates from the word of god then he has no aptitude yeah for it like that is what the pastor is given to do to be the instrument to be the mouthpiece of god to adhere to it to proclaim christ faithfully and truly and concerning you know what was said earlier about Luther, they can even go back to Athanasius this day, where Athanasius was imprisoned three times for speaking the same thing. He was exiled for this. And if you want to go even further, is going to make the point in point three to go back to Acts chapter 20, where Paul himself was imprisoned for preaching this gospel because people wanted to hear something other than Christ crucified and risen, and Paul would have none of it. Athanasius would have none of it. Luther would have none of it. And pastors are given to be bold enough to say no if any I speak christ crucified if any
0: man teach otherwise and consent not to the wholesome words even the words of our lord jesus christ he is proud and knows nothing that's not my opinion that's what st paul says in first timothy cross defense coming back This week on Issues etc., we'll have Pastor Paul Schluter answer the question, was Hurricane Irma a sign of God's judgment?
2: We'll talk with Pastor Brian Wolfmiller about the will of God. Pastor Tom Baker will lead us in a Sunday school lesson on God providing for Elijah. And we'll discuss the demographics of Christianity in America with Pastor Heath Curtis. Issues etc., live weekday afternoons from
1: 3 to 5 on KFUO.
3: a reward. After all, I found our dream house. Have a pickle. Thanks. But I found out how much the house was going to cost pass the jar. But I found us the perfect mortgage. But then I found out the house had
0: radon. Ugh. The radioactive gas that's the second leading cause of lung cancer. Yeah,
3: well, I need mm, two pickles. I found the phone number to call, 1-800-SOS-RADON, where you can get all the information you need to test your home and fix a radon problem. I'd like some ice cream with this pickle. Are you trying to tell me something? Protect your family from radon. Call 1-800-SOS-RADON. 1-800-SOS-RADON. The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Disaster Response is providing relief and mercy in the wake of the devastation from Harvey, a tropical system that struck the Gulf Coast and caused historic flooding. Response teams are assisting local congregations to aid their communities. Information is online at lcms.org slash Harvey. Please pray and consider donation or volunteer opportunities. You can text to give and donate via smartphones by texting LCMS Harvey to 41444. Three things make a believer
0: Oratio, Meditatio, Tentatio. Prayer, meditation, and growth. Which is why every weekday morning from 7 to 8 a.m., we bring you Oratio, an hour of solace, contemplation, scripture, sacred music, and faith. Oratio. The dawn breaks with prayer every morning on Worldwide KFUO. Across the fence on Worldwide KFUO, Pastor Jonathan Fist talking with Pastor John Syas and Pastor Adam Philippe, and talking so much with Pastor Syas in the break that we almost didn't come back again, uh, talking about Dr. Pieper's teaching on the habit of theology, which is imperative to the role and life and person of the pastor. That this individual, particularly now, will confine his public teaching in the office to the words of holy scripture themselves to the level that anyone who would not do this is disqualified from the office so that the next sentence says this it says scripture thus declares all those to be theologically incompetent and disqualified for the christian ministry who are not willing to take their doctrine exclusively from holy scripture but in addition set up other sources such as alleged private revelations and, and et cetera, and Pastor Sy has kind of referenced a number of these various ones. Some of them are pretty narrow to people's context at the time, but but that idea of private revelation, I think, kind of summarizes all of it. That they're gonna—it's scripture and it's scripture plus. It's uh, not scripture interprets scripture, but scripture interpreted by me, myself, and I, and us, and however you want to say it. So,
1: uh, what, what are your other thoughts there? I think in our context, you know, the modern scientific consciousness. Uh, you know, the idea that, that we need to norm what Scripture says by what science of the day is telling us or so-called science of the day is telling us, um, you know, uh, uh, or psychology or the social sciences or whatever. Uh, when all that gets mixed into this source of divine authority or or the divine authority is normed by it, uh, we've got a mess. You know, we've corrupted the pure, clear fountain of Israel, a formula conquered, you know, with, with other grot and— uh, and uh, that, that has no place in the office.
2: Philip, A pastor is to be adherent, strictly adherent to the Word of God. Pieper continues this discussion, as you guys have said, with the discussion of actually, we would call it reason, and the use of reason in our minds. Are we the source of all knowledge and wisdom and truth concerning God? Or is that truth outside of us, and does it come from God? And we would sort of label this in theological terms as a magisterial use of reason versus a ministerial use of reason. And a magisterial use of reason means that the reason rules over. It governs Scripture. So what you think and what you can comprehend is right and accurate. And whatever you can't think about and comprehend, whatever your mind can't wrap its head around— then it is to be rejected. Whereas the ministerial use of reason says, my, my reason, my thought is, is good. It's from God, and God has given me my mind, but quite frankly, I confess that my mind is sinful and flawed, that uh, I, a poor, miserable sinner, confess unto thee all my sins and iniquities, right? This is what we confess every Sunday. And so I may not always be able to understand every little aspect because my sinful little brain is feeble, and wrong quite frankly and so there is an objective authority outside of me his name is christ crucified he is the way the truth and the life and what he says about himself is what i must confess which actually is quite beautiful because we speak about confession in two ways in the church right everyone who comes to the congregations of the lutheran church missouri synod on a sunday morning hears two different confessions one a confession about who i am We confess our sins. Most merciful God, we confess that we are by nature sinful and clean. We sin against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done, by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We justly deserve your present and eternal punishment. But then after the sermon is preached, after Christ has filled our ears and our eyes with his mercy of the cross, then we speak the confession of faith. This is who God is, and this is what he does. And that is always outside of us. And that's Peepers' point here. We don't get to make stuff up. We get to confess what God has said in His Word about Himself.
0: And I love how we've we've just again though this is this is kind of my little my own little gray area here. We've just moved our way back into Christian confession, right? Although Peepers trying, and, and this is really if if we take everything that we just said. This is, what he, this is what he was saying universally to start the book, and now he is trying in this segment to, like, narrow this down and hit the pastor in the face with it particularly,
1: right? Absolutely. You know, it's. Uh, this reminds me of a couple of things that my mom, uh, the elementary teacher, said. It's not complicated, really, to think about the ministerial use of reason here. Uh, one thing she said was, uh, if you can't spell it, you can't be it, uh, trying mm-hmm. to get the kids to learn their spelling, but everybody resists learning facts. We'd rather just spout stuff. And she said, well— uh, you know, before you're going to going to think about anything, you've got to know something. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, information has to be put into your head before you can roll it around and come up with some cogent diagnosis of what's going on. And uh, theology is the same way. Why should we assume that, that in our heads, uh, that apart from learning, don't know anything about anything else, uh, that in our heads is some spark of spiritual knowledge that we can just let run wild without a word from outside um you know it it it, one wonders at that Hmm. you know we think spiritual stuff is just kind of do we think spiritual stuff is just kind of nebulous and we can define it as we will and if that's how we feel about it what does it say about our belief about god uh or the possibility that there is an objective god uh, who's not just open to our own definition? Follow follow that question further, though, because I think y-
0: your question is implying that if tr- if if knowledge of God is just whatever I think, then that almost means there
1: is no God. Yeah, I, that, I think that's an you know if if God is just your invisible friend, uh, you know that's a pretty sad God to have. Because a real God would have his own definition
0: of himself, regardless of what you thought about the matter.
1: A a real God, by any reasonable definition, is not subject to our imagination, but but the one who makes things what they are. Let us hear Luther on this point. And, yeah, that's a direct quote.
0: (laughs) We're still on page 48, about the middle of point two. Let us hear Luther on this. He says, quote, Jeremiah has an entire chapter on the false prophets. Among other things, he says this, now quoting Jeremiah Thus saith the Lord of hosts, hearken not unto the words of the prophets that prophesy unto you. They make you vain, that is, they teach you vanity. They speak a vision of their own heart and not of the mouth of the Lord. Behold, all the prophets who do not preach out of the mouth of the Lord are deceivers. And God forbids us to hear them. This is Luther again. Uh, Does not the text state clearly that where God's word is not preached, no one dare under pain of God's wrath listen to it, for it is pure deception. And then he gets a little name cally here. Oh, Pope, oh, bishops, oh, priests, oh, monks, oh, theologians, how are you going to escape here? Do you consider it a trifling matter when the Supreme Majesty forbids whatever does not proceed out of the mouth of the Lord and is something else than God's word? it is not a thresher or herdsman who is saying this that is god saying this not just anybody when the servant hears the master say who told you to do that it is not what i have commanded he will certainly realize that he should not have done it as being contrary to the master's orders and uh, luther's picking on a a very particular set of issues there as well that at least in his battle as he was fighting it with the word of god in that day the these, The false or the, the twisted version of God's word really had one face. Well, two if you count the radical reformation. But, but he had one large face. For us today, I mean, we, we can get distracted on the pope, the bishops, the priests, and whether it's polite to call names and all this kind of stuff. But I think his real point, again, is that if someone's going to stand up and say, God says, but God didn't say, first off, we have a duty to not listen to it right yeah to not spend our time on late night cable christian channels just cuz we think it's interesting right uh, or or go into a a bible study at a local church cuz we got our friends there and we want to be nice so that's the first thing and, and then the second thing if I didn't lose oh yeah uh, that that the one who is doing this uh, is in great jeopardy basically uh, Philippe, you got any
2: thoughts you just took this um back into the realm of the Christian did. and the life in Christ. <laughs> we keep you, doing you really it. <laughs> did. And so I, I, I can see that back and forth, and that's not a problem. I think that really the distinction on one and two is not that this is, and this is the cool part of it, that this is not some super um, heightened ability but that comes about by men, points one and two. This is a gift from the Lord, and this gift from the Lord of number one, being able to have that God-given faith and make that confession, and number two, being adherent to the Word of God, is in fact the responsibility of, as we're kind of talking about, every Christian, but that there is a special responsibility, and I think Pieper's actually moving, the center of his argument is in, points three and four, that he's moving, if that's required of every Christian, how much more for the instrument and the mouthpiece that I am setting, my called and ordained servant, because he's going to be responsible for preaching this word that they hear, and more than that, point three and four, he needs to be able to guard against and defend against ravenous wolves, false prophets, all of these different things. And so if you cannot understand that this is all God's work in you, that he gives you that faith and that you must adhere that you can't speak anything else. And he points to Jeremiah, which is beautiful because there's a whole lot of prophets in that they were saying, oh, no, God's happy with us and all of that. We're not going to go into exile. Jeremiah is preaching doom and gloom. And Jeremiah said, hey, if it happens, good, then that word is, is true. But if it doesn't happen, if it happens according to my word, then we know who the prophet of the Lord actually is. And that's just it. Even in the Old Testament, Jeremiah grounded to what God has spoken. This is what it is to test the spirits. I mean, 1 John chapter 4. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. But this you know, that that the spirit of God, in every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh from God. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. So the message never Ever changes but the theological aptitude is that pastor must adhere to the crucified and risen Christ in his word, because apart from that there's only death and not just for himself but for those whom he has placed over
0: I I think he just really helped me wrap my head around the way that the way to understand this language of habitus and aptitude and and maybe correct me if I'm wrong guys because I really I really want to understand this but but I think and this is from something you said as well, Pastor size earlier, John, earlier. You said, um, you know, how should you judge your pastor? And, and this is, that's what these five points are going yeah. to be. Uh, the manner in which a pastor should and must be judged, both judging himself, as we're kind of doing in one sense, but then also for the people to judge him as well. So think about like a call committee. And, you know, right. what should you be looking for before all things? It's these
1: five points. And this is the difference between, you know, a power and authority. Mm. or uh between uh, just a guy and an office that that where there's an office where there's an authority conferred there's an objective standard to which the man is held we we know what makes a good police officer a good judge and it's not just that he always does what he what i like him to do mm. but that he he fulfills that office that that specific trust that he's been that he's been given and uh and so here people lays that out and and you know, in light of the clarity of Scripture. You know, it's, it's no mystery where a good pastor gets this habitus, this aptitude uh, for this office. Uh, no mystery how his hearers are to judge him, because the whole uh, Lutheran confession is based on the principle that the Scriptures are clear, and uh, the Scriptures speak clearly to us. And, uh, and so— anything drawn from another source uh, a spiritual teaching that's that's not drawn from that pure clear fountain of Israel it's not neutral uh it's not uh, you know just something you can take or leave as long as you get some of the good stuff uh, uh peter and luther and jeremiah here say it it makes you empty yeah uh, and the vain uh, the vanity is uh, the word for emptiness uh to be made vain is to be become an empty head mm uh, that this displaces the truth this drives out what is good I think it's clear it's
0: important though to, to you, you said spiritual teaching right so yeah. so to recognize it's not that you can't learn science right or oh or, sure right yeah,
1: uh, electrical engineering was great fun
0: yeah sure right or or and this is I I, I harp on this in, in as often as I can because I think it's an important thing like yoga is like all the rage right now and it's all the rage I think in part, because it kind of works because they basically get you to come in and breathe deep a lot and stretch and then they and and then they send you on your way home and you feel better because what do you know breathing deep and stretching is good for the human body right and and yet they send you home saying this is a spiritual reality which has improved your connection to the eternal right that's the error. Is we've, we've moved from first article to second article and infused the two rather than distinguishing them. Philippe, thoughts on that?
2: And that is emptiness. Yeah, right. That, that is exact emptiness because it is devoid of Christ and his word. And if you, are, if, if you do not speak Christ and his word, if you only have man's word, if everything depends upon us, then we all know how dependable our word is. How many times have we said something? We're going to do something. We're going to get it right, and we have failed miserably. But when God's called and ordained servant speaks Christ's word adherently to the word of God, then the sinner's conscience, and that's really what we're talking about, certainty, righteousness, salvation, confidence, this is Reformation for the 21st century, baby. It's still, a, it's still a <laughs> among us, right? Where there's still questions that Athanasius and Paul and Luther wrestled with are still in our day. Then your conscience can be certain, for Christ has absolved you. Christ has baptized you. Christ has given his body and blood to you. You can depart in peace, knowing your sins are forgiven. Jesus is with you, and you have life in his name, because that is what he has spoken
0: pretty awesome the aptitude of the office of the ministry is the aptitude of jesus to save you from your sins cross defense coming back
3: concordia university wisconsin in mequon overlooks a half mile of beautiful lake michigan shoreline I'm World Lutheran News Digest host, Kip Allen. Every day, things happen that affect the lives of Lutherans worldwide. Whether it's mercy efforts to a disaster-stricken community, threats to religious liberty, or cultural trends. World Lutheran News Digest takes an in-depth look at one issue each week as I interview newsmakers and experts, while Sarah Golseth presents a quick look at the week's news. World Lutheran News Digest may be heard every Wednesday at 2.30 and Saturday at 9.30 on Worldwide KFUO.
2: One of the most important archeological discoveries of the 20th century occurred by the Dead Sea in 1947.
1: A young shepherd tossing stones in a cave struck old clay jars
2: and discovered ancient treasure hidden in the caves of Qumran. Between 1947 and 1956, fragments from 12 caves were unearthed, known as the Dead Sea Scrolls.
1: Over 900 texts in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek were found, including every book of the Hebrew Bible except Esther and Nehemiah. The largest scroll was an almost complete text of the book of Isaiah. The Dead Sea Scrolls
2: were a thousand years older than what had previously been considered the oldest manuscripts of the Hebrew Bible. They closely resemble the Masoretic text of the Hebrew Bible preserved by Jewish scribes over the centuries. Engage with this book of all books.
3: Brought to you by Museum of the Bible.
0: Listen to Cross Defense on Worldwide KFUO, Pastor Jonathan Fisk talking with Pastor John Sias and Pastor Adam Philippex about dog, Dogmatic Peepers, Fra- Doctor Francis Peepers, Christian Dogmatics, Volume One: The Theological Aptitude of the Pastor. With these two gentlemen, have helped me to finally wrap my mind around. These are the, the the means by which you ought to judge your pastor, and a pastor ought to judge himself, and an individual ought to decide whether or not I have the gumption and and the wherewithal to strive to be a pastor, given. Luther's particular warnings of a holy fear that if, if, if these things are things you reject you're putting yourself not just outside of the ministry but you're really putting yourself outside of the Christian faith and I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of summarize these five different points and we're gonna look at the uh, two of them next time as well. So again, the five ways or five places that a pastor should be judged. First, is he a Christian? Does he have personal faith in Christ? Second, does he teach exclusively from God's word when he's teaching God's word? Third, uh, does he teach the entirety of God's word is what we're going to hit now in just a moment. That is, is, does he not only teach the parts of God's word that he really likes, does he teach the whole scriptures? Fourth, uh, he is only fit to be a minister of the church who refutes false teachers. Does he teach against the false thing? Does he does? does he have in the, in the old words the anathema or the this is actually wrong and even calling it out by name? I mean, that's pretty intense right there. We'll, we'll get that next time. And then fifth, uh, does he have a willingness to suffer for this teaching, right? To suffer for the doctrine. oh my goodness! Um, and then, John, you were you were saying before during that break there again, you know, or maybe in need of a reminder of this holy fear a little bit. And you also mentioned you had a letter to uh, yeah, Hanswurst. This,
1: Wurst. this uh, Luther that uh, Peeper cites, unfortunately, is not done into English in, as a whole. But uh, yeah, Luther writes this against Hanswurst. It's in the volume forty-one of the American edition, uh, page two sixteen. There's this great quote. Um, the preacher should neither pray the Lord's Prayer nor ask for forgiveness of sins when he has preached, that is, after he's preached, but should say and boast with Jeremiah, uh, Lord, you know that what came out of my lips is true and pleasing to you, and thus saith the Lord. Uh, and uh, this sounds so, you know, if I can use a word, arrogant, right? Hmm. Uh, the, that kind of confidence that what I have said is the word of the Lord that this is what Christ would have spoken to these people. Um, we say, well, how can, you know, how can a man say that? And we kind of take offense at these words. But this, Luther says, and, and the scriptures would say, uh, as Pieper cited for us, this is the job of a pastor, uh, to speak only what God has said and, and to speak literally uh, for God in that time and place. And if he can't do that, to hold his mouth. I mean, this is the role of the
0: preacher. This is the reason for the pulpit. This is what the what the sermon is to be, right? And, and right. I, I can't help but wonder <sighs> I don't want to I don't want to call out names but I got the impression at least at some point in in my my pastor career that my job as a preacher was to go find the word of God and then find the real things inside of it and bring those things out and restate them in in new ways for the for the people in the pew to understand. And so most of my sermon prep was more about figuring out how to how to find some other thing to say uh-huh. that would hold a similar truth to what Scripture says. And at, at some point, uh, one of my buddies hit me upside the head and, and talked me into just being more concerned about what it actually says and, and giving that the, the emphasis.
1: Yeah, I, you know, I think there is, uh, uh, you know, again, uh, the, the Word of God is clear. Mm. And, uh, and the more we deal with the actual words of God mm. in the Holy Scriptures— the more we find that the people it's talking to and about are are, are us. <laughs> I want to go back to Philippic again, but I'm going to go ahead
0: and read this next third point here and then give you the 1st shot at at Pastor Philippic. So, thirdly, this is the third way that a pastor should be filled with the aptitude given to him by God to be a pastor— Another theological skill is the ability to teach the whole word of God, the entire truth of scripture. Only he is able to minister to the church who can say with the apostle Paul, I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. God, I love the old translation, right? Um, If the ministers fail to do this, souls entrusted to his care may be eternally lost. Only he who declares all the counsel of God can say with the apostle, I am pure from the blood of all men. Let us remind ourselves in this connection that since God requires a theologian to teach the entire Christian doctrine without subtraction or addition, publicly and from house to house, therefore theological students should apply themselves very diligently to acquire the theological fitness, and pastors in office should strive to retain and increase it. The apostle admonishes Timothy and all theologians, take heed unto thyself and unto thy doctrine. Hey, this is a cross-defense verse. Continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and thy. Them that hear thee, uh, Pastor Philippe, Does that mean that you got to know who who Oba Jaya, uh, you know, the son of uh, Nia Muchawaya, is, and 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 I preach that every week?
2: Does that mean I need to know that? Yes, I need to know all the different heresies and different things that has happened, and Scripture inside and out. That the living Word of God. It's it's all there for me. God breathed, but all of it, Jonathan points to one thing and mm-hmm. if i can sort of if we have a, a sweet gospel in a nutshell verse of what is christianity for god so of the world that he gave his one and one son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life that john three sixteen. if i can narrow it down if i could put like a verse on scripture and what all of those son of jehoiachim son of you know all of those different mm-hmm. things are it would be john chapter 20 verse 31 these things are written that you may believe that jesus is the christ the son of god and that by believing in him You may have life in his name. Even the very genealogies of Genesis chapter 5 that we find so boring reappear in Jesus' genealogical lineage in Luke chapter 3, revealing to us that this one who was promised long ago in Genesis 3.15 to crush the head of the serpent, finally he is here in the flesh for you. His name is Jesus Christ. So all of it, the golden thread through all of it, all of Scripture, testifies to Christ crucified and risen for the forgiveness of sins that you may have life in his name.
0: I think that's really key, and and I think being able as a pastor to to go and if you don't know it, research those things and make those those connections, show where that golden thread is, is also kind of what people really getting at. My, my fear is that his language itself would make it sound as like if you don't know off the top of your head, you you have no business being a pastor. And what the reason I'm thinking about this is because I was doing the readings for tomorrow morning's uh, oratio at, at the seven o'clock hour, and here let me just give you verse uh, thirteen of Second Chronicles chapter thirty one, where it says while Jeh. El, Ezahiah, Nahath, Asahel, Jeremoth, Jozebad, Eliel, Emesachiah, Mahath, and Benaniah were overseers, assisting Konaniah and Shimeh his brother by the appointment of Hezekiah the king and Ezariah the chief officer of the house of God. I got no clue. I mean, I know who Hezekiah is, right? I kind of know the context of what's going on, but am I unfit for the office of the ministry just because I can't pull that off the top of my head? Or is what he's really giving out here that I would strive to know these things when I find them to to never give up on trying to learn them and connect them to that golden thread you were mentioning, Pastor Philip Beck?
2: And I think that he answers that very pointedly after that quotation publicly, from the house to house, therefore, theological students should mm-hmm. apply themselves it's not that they always have the knowledge in and of themselves, but that they they always have the desire by the spirit of God to search the scriptures to give the answers and I think that the quotation of Acts twenty and first Timothy chapter four, and then splitting point four. Yeah, it's a little bit detrimental, because Acts chapter 20, what he's quoting about not shunning but declaring the whole counsel of God, happens in a particular context. I mean, Paul, in Acts chapter 20, knowing that he's going to Jerusalem, that he will not see these pastors again, as the Holy Spirit has revealed to him, he's going to go through more imprisonment. He exhorts these pastors to guard themselves and the flock, the Holy Spirit has made these men overseers of the church of God, whom Christ Himself has attained by His blood. And so, this exhortation is not just a, a general appeal to be a faithful servant, but rather to an appeal to be faithful in the face of persecution. Because Paul knows that when he departs, well, he'll be in prison. These pastors mm. in Acts chapter twenty are going to face ravenous wolves. They are going to rise up and they are going to pervert that apostolic message. And Paul exhorts them, as I have not shrunk back one little bit in the face of my persecution, even facing death, but have proclaimed the excellencies of Christ who has called me out of darkness to the marvelous light, guard your teaching, guard your flock, because by that proclamation, they will have life. And apart from that proclamation, there is no life. So this is not just proclaim the whole counsel of God, but this is... Acts twenty is proclaim the whole council of God even in the face of persecution.
0: Right. And you're jumping you're jumping toward point five, but you're right, absolutely, that that, that
1: definitely applies to it. Pastor Sias? Yeah, uh preaching certainly, you know, is application. Uh and it's and it's application of the, the you know the material principle. What is confessed in the scriptures? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think you know, with regard to to all the 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 folks you name from Saint Chronicles, mm-hmm. there, uh, you know, there's a reason the Holy Spirit gave those those names to be recorded for all time. And uh, and and what a thing! And maybe we don't quite understand what that is. Uh, or, you know why these particular names we never hear of again. Um, I, now I think, you know, what what Paul's talking about here is not the quote unquote Bible trivia uh although I would say and I'm not a sports guy but if we can master oh sure you know uh all the stats and I'm not a pop music guy but if we can know all the lyrics then then why don't we know all these people uh in in the word that we know is unlike all other words and stats and every other thing the word of God right the very words so I think there's a challenge to us in that but but for what I think Paul is getting at here, as Pastor Filipek said, you know, this is, is being able to teach the whole faith, mm. to put all the pieces together, to bring out of the storehouse, you know, the right word at the proper time, mm. uh, to teach the, the, the rule of faith faithfully and fully. Uh, like Jesus says, teach them all such things whatsoever as I have commanded you, not bits and pieces of the faith. Uh, Not uh, just, you know, the gospel in a nutshell, and I don't know how to to apply the sacraments or talk about, uh, you know, particular sins or cultural problems that we have or whatever, but the ability to apply the fullness of God's counsel, his will, his word. Uh, to the situations that Christians face.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more with both of you guys. I'm I very much, I'm I'm attempting to to make the absurd argument a little bit for the <laughs> sake of pulling that out. And I think it's there, I mean, you both pointed this out a little bit in the text too, right? So he he doesn't say to be able to teach every syllable of the Bible as if he knows what it means. Because frankly, some of these names, while we might know that they're there, we don't have Scripture to tell us who they were right. or what they did, right? So we do have some limitations in this from Scripture itself. But he does say the entire Christian doctrine, right? Right, that, that this is the bigger point, that, that from Scripture you do have a body of knowledge that we can know that is— is is. Uh irreplaceable, that cannot be denied in any way, and is in fact the source of life. And then also, uh, Philip, like you pointed out, you know, uh, to continue learning this, right? So first off, he says f- for us to acquire it in the seminary, and then secondly, once you're through that seminary, to retain and increase it. Well, you can only increase it if you don't actually master it, or don't actually have all of it, <laughs> right? So it, it is this ongoing reality, so that when you come to these passages, as I happened to this morning, to, to, to spur myself forward, as I, not because of this passage, for other reasons, but I really have, I have this deep desire to get a deeper knowledge of the minor prophets. They get a deep desire to know the, the 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 understanding of the kingdoms and the latter kingdoms. It's stuff that I just had, haven't picked up yeah. enough yet, right? And and I think that is the aptitude uh, which is hungering to know this for the sake of being able to teach it and draw that line from it to Christ, whether that be just strictly via the genealogy or typology or, or any of these other things uh, for looking at it. So, With a few minutes left here, you both uh, got got a chance to have some some closing thoughts on this. Uh, and Plenty of time, so take your time. But closing thoughts on on this whole section, Pastor Philippe.
2: He points out something that we confess in our ordination vows as pastors, that we will diligently study the Scriptures and the confessions so that we may conduct the ministry in accordance with that Word of Christ, so that by that Word of Christ proclaimed by a sinful man such as Adam Philippak who doesn't even deserve to be up there.
3: Mm.
2: Yet this is Christ who has called me into that office to administer his word and his sacraments, that upon the hearing, I forgive you all your sins, even, even the confession, even in the absolution, in the stead, by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ. This isn't me. It's not my words. This isn't Adam Philippak. This is Christ saying to you, I forgive you, that upon that proclamation, the saints of Holy Cross and Emmanuel may receive Christ. They might receive his absolution. They might receive his body and blood. They might receive his baptism. They may be strengthened in the faith, kept until that great and glorious day, when by the sound of the trumpet, he calls us forth to life everlasting. And Keeper's getting at this last part, sort of woe to the pastor, I'll, and I'll put this first in the realm of the Christian, Jonathan, because that's kind of what we're accustomed to doing, and then how much more for the pastor. Go well, to, well, to the pastor, but let's go back to the Christian. What well, is to the Christian who completes confirmation instruction and says, okay, I'm done. i got everything I've ever needed to know, and I don't need to go to, uh, really to, to church anymore, and I don't really need to study the Word of God and Bible study, I don't need to do any of that stuff. Really? Because don't you know that apart from Christ, you have no life? He is the vine? You are the branches, and if you sever yourself from His Word and His sacrament, then that only leads to death. That only leads to the emptiness of hell, the grave sh'ol. But to have Christ, to be a part, to be a part of Christ, not a part from Christ, to be a part of Christ, is to be connected to that vine, to have life, to have forgiveness. And a pastor, a pastor should not just have books on his bookshelf and like having books on his bookshelves, but read and study. For the purpose of proclaiming Christ into the lives of the people, into the language that they are accustomed to hearing, so that they may have life in his name. And so this is also a warning to, yes, first, you you want to put Christians, but also pastors. If If that's the confirmation aspect, how much more the ordination aspect when you are the one who proclaims and keeps watch over and guards, but you only do it by Christ's word? Well, if you don't know the word, how can you speak it?
1: Yeah, uh, uh, Pieper here is, is being great pastor obvious for us. And I, you know, sometimes we need a pastor obvious to just come and say, you know, this is what it is. But, I mean, we have the, the clear word of God, the, the pure, clear fountain of Israel, as the uh, Formula Concord calls it. Um, you know, why are we not satisfied to study and use and apply it? Uh, why does this not consume a much greater proportion of our lives as people? Uh, professional theologians and as as God's people who are called to discern the voices of the true from the false shepherds and to hear and know the voice of their master our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, it's a very profound and practical call to to real repentance, a change, a turning and doing things differently uh, to to receiving what God has put here for us in the office and in his word and uh, and and what a great call to, justification by faith to the forgiveness that's ours in Christ to see God has given us this great treasure which has the secrets of life now and forever, and we've let it lay uh, God help us, and 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 He does. Well, that's oh, I mean, you just he just hit it though. We've let it lay, and yet it
0: is the promise that He's going to help yes. us. So the moment, the moment I realize, oh my gosh, I've ignored this treasure. The treasure says, yes, but I have not ignored. I ignored yeah. you. Uh, you. You were just listening to Pastor John Sias. He is the secretary for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, graciously donating some of his. Important time this afternoon to cross fence. Happy to do it. Yeah. And you also heard this hour, Pastor Adam Philippeck, Pastor at Holy Cross and Emmanuel Lutheran Churches, both up there in the wonderful Lidgerwood, North Dakota. Pastor Philippeck, thank you for your time as well today.
2: Thank you. Pleasure to be with you, Pastor Fisk and Pastor Sai.
0: And I am Pastor Jonathan Fisk. This is Cross Defense, your weekly dose of worldview demolition, using Dr. Pieper's fine words, the shoulders of a giant, to break down the stronghold bad opinions of our modern and postmodern age and set up shop with the mighty fortress of our Lord's Word. I said this weekend at a conference that I was at, wouldn't it be stunning if between church and Bible study or church and lunch. It didn't talk about just what you're going to do next or just what you did this week, but you actually had what the pastor said come out of your mouth again to the person you're walking with. And then again, pastor, maybe the reason they're not doing that is because he didn't study this week. Think twice about it. We'll catch you guys next time on Cross Defense.